Our scripture reading this morning comes from Genesis 15, verses 1 through 21. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Abram continued, look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? He said to him, bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So he brought all, to him, all these to him, cut them in half, and laid the pieces opposite each other, but he did not cut the birds in half. Birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over Abram, and suddenly a great terror and darkness descended on him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain. Your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them and will be enslaved and oppressed. However, I will judge the nation they serve, and afterward they will go out with many possessions. But you will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure." When the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, I give this land to your offspring, from the brook of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hethites, Perizzites, Rephaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Lori. Good morning, everyone. My name's Eric. I'm the pastor here at Trinity. If I could, I'd like to make one more additional announcement. It's found on page nine in the bulletin. Something very, very important and significant is beginning next week here for our church family. We call it our confirmation class or exploring my faith as our kids will be considering whether um, it's time for them to make a personal profession of faith in Jesus Christ. So it's, it's, it's hard to even give words to how significant that is. It begins next Sunday, it'll be a three-part class. Uh, Many of our kids are signed up. I believe 32 kids are signed up. Uh, So please be praying for them. And we'd like to say that today would be the deadline, if you're still considering that. This is, when I say kids, it's kids really of any age, all the way up 
to seniors in high school, this is an opportunity for you to reflect on where you are in your faith and um, if it's the right time to make a profession of faith in Jesus. So information is there in the bulletin. This fall, we are in a teaching series on the life of Abraham. His story is found in Genesis chapters 12 through 25. And before we get into this amazing chapter in his story, which we just heard read, chapter 15, first, we need to do a quick recap of how Abraham's story fits into the larger story of Genesis and into the larger story of Scripture. Very quick recap. Genesis 1 and 2, we are told of what life looks like when it is right. God has created all things good. This is life as it is meant to be when it is right. Genesis 3 through 11, as we continue on in the story, tell us how things have gone wrong. Very wrong because of sin, because of a break in humanity's relationship with God. Things have gone wrong. And we see that in Genesis 3 all the way through 11. And then in Genesis 12 is where we meet Abraham. What we see there as chapter 12 begins is that God promises to set all things right that have gone wrong through Abraham and his family. When we read this, we looked at this a number of weeks ago, his story begins with God calling him seemingly out of nowhere and giving him a promise. It is a huge promise that God gives Abraham to bless him, to restore him to life as it ought to be, to make things right, and to make him a blessing to all nations, all peoples. Said another way, God promises to undo or reverse The curse of sin that's described in Genesis 3 through 11. We see life unravel. We see violence. We see all human evil on display. And God says, Abram, to you and through you, I'm going to restore blessing to your life and to the whole world through you. And God says it will happen through your offspring, through his children, in a land that God will give him. And from there and from his offspring in that land, all peoples will be blessed and all things will be set right again. That's, that's the story. And when Abram gets this promise from God, what happens? Recap. He begins the journey. He says, okay, God, I'm going to go out. God says, I'll show you where to go. He goes out. He wanders through this land. Soon after, the land is hit with a famine. And Abraham says, God, (laughs) what happened to the promise? He didn't handle it well when the famine came. He wanders into Egypt. He makes a bunch of mistakes. God brings him back to the land. And then his nephew Lot gets captured. He becomes a prisoner of war. Abraham goes and rescues him, chapter 14. All the while, all this is happening, Abraham, he is getting old. He's getting very old. Years have passed between when he heard the call of God, when God broke into his life and said, here's the promise, and he followed and he went, 
Still, as we reach chapter 15, which we just read, he has no child, no offspring. And he's just wandering through the land, no land of his own. So those promises that Abram, he heard, they start to fade. They start to get very fuzzy. It's getting really hard for him to live by faith and to believe. On the one hand, he has these promises of God that God made to him and confirmed to him a few times. And then on the other hand, he has his situation in life, his experience, what he sees before him. And there is this huge gap in between those two things, the promise of God and my life. (laughs) That's where we find Abraham in this chapter. In the words of a really good book on his life, and I'm just going to put these words up because they're really important to this chapter. He is living in the gap between promise and reality. And this gives us a great image for what Abram must be feeling. It's like he's on one side of the Grand Canyon. If you've ever been there, it's an incredible thing. You look to the other side of the canyon. On the other side is God and his promise. Everything Abram sees and he feels seems separated by this giant gap between him and God and between what God has promised him. Have you ever felt like that? Between you and God and the life he has promised in his word, the things he says in his word, it's like it's on the other side of the canyon. Way over there. Barely visible. What Abram felt in this chapter is what every Christian will feel. And everyone exploring the Christian faith should know about this. So I brought a show and tell um, just to drive this point home because this was in the office and I don't know why it was in the office. This is a giant tape measure. I didn't know they made one this big. It says it's 300 feet long. So I don't know why, why we would need such a long one in our office, but we have it if you need it. So it's like, it's like if I were to hand this to one of you, and, and you could probably walk across the street over there and hold this, and I could be holding the other end. Sometimes the distance feels short to us. Sometimes it feels like, you know, this entire role has been unrolled, where we have our life on one end of the tape measure, and there is this giant gap between us and God and his promise. And so I brought the tape measure just to ask you a question. This is different at different times for us. How big is the gap now for you? If you could just consider that this morning in your current season. Sometimes it's not, not so great. Sometimes it feels like we can barely measure it. This chapter gets us to the very heart and the very core 
of what it means to live by faith and how it is possible to live by faith even when the gap seems so far we can barely see to the other side. We can't measure it. When the gap is huge, when it's painful, when we're struggling, when we're barely holding on, we can live by faith. And this chapter shows us how. It gives us three things. Three things are given to us in this chapter. Each of these are vital and essential components to the life of faith. We cannot make it. We cannot make it without all three. Here we have permission. We have a declaration. And we have a guarantee. We have permission to honestly name our struggles, to believe and have faith. We have a declaration of God for those who believe despite the gap and the struggles. And we have a guarantee of God to assure us. He will keep all his promises. So let's look at those three things. The first thing God gives us in this chapter is permission. God gives us permission to name our struggles of how hard it is for us to trust him. He gives us permission to name these struggles honestly, much more honestly than most of us are comfortable with. To name our doubts, we could even say our complaints. Is complaining a part of living by faith? Well, let's look at verse 1. After these events, we don't know exactly how long after the events of chapter 14, but time has passed. A long time has passed for Abraham. God comes to him in a vision, it says. This is not a regular occurrence, even for Abram, to meet God in a vision like this, something we would all love to have as we struggle in our faith. As we are living in the gap, what do I need? What what would help me right now? Maybe a vision from God where he appears to me and speaks directly to me. That would be great. And it happens here for Abram. He got it. God says to him in verse 1, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. This is powerful. God speaks personally to Abram by name in this vision. It's so tender. It's so personal. Meeting him in his fears and his anxiety and all the questions he had. God comes to him, and he meets him. All the what ifs. What if God doesn't come through? What if I never have a child? What if this was all just an imaginary dream that I had? God meets him. And he says, I'm your shield. I am your protector. I am your defense. God, I am these things for you, and your reward will be very great, he says. And Abram says, verse 2, Thank you, Lord. What more could I ask than a personal vision to assure me? (laughs) That's not at all what he says, is it, in verse 2. He says, Lord God, sovereign Lord, a very humble and reverent way to address God. What can you give me? Whoa. (laughs) Have you ever said that to God? God, what can you give me? Since I am childless, the only heir I have is one born in my house, a servant in the house. The idea is someone in my house here is not, not even my own child, will inherit everything I have. His lot 
uh, his nephew Lot was gone to Sodom. So not even somebody in his own family. That's it. It's quite a bold statement in verse 3 that Abram makes. He says, And you, God, you have given me no offspring. This is humble and reverent, yet it is honest and raw. Abram says to God, There is quite a gap, God, between the promise of your word and my life. And what what we have here is actually Abram's first recorded prayer. First time we see a conversation he had with God. This is the father of faith in whose footsteps we are to follow. His first prayer is an honest complaint. Something we would all probably feel very uncomfortable. Can I talk like that to God? Can I say that to God? Abram did. He's our father in the faith whose footsteps we are to follow. In verse 4. God says to Abram, Abram, I gave you a vision, a very personal and tender word to assure you. And you question me, what can I give you? How dare you? No, not at all. Not at all. God receives his prayer. God acknowledges his complaint. And he answers it. Now it says, or this is in the Hebrew, like, behold, look. God answered him. The word of the Lord came to him and said, this one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be. I'm going to keep my promise. And he gives him a visual sign of this. He says in verse 5, look outside. Look at the sky and count the stars. If you're even able to, you know, now where we live with all the the light pollution, right? We can count the stars. There's like two out there that we can see. There's two. Okay, that's not great. But, right, if you get out where you can actually see the stars, it is impossible to count the stars. And, and God says to Abram, you're not just going to have one offspring. You have that many. And God responds to him with such grace, meeting him where he is, reminding him, Abram, I made the stars. I can keep my word. I can give you a child. And so we see here that God gives us permission to honestly name our struggles to believe and have faith in him. I think I have a quote here from from the book, Living in the Gap Between Promise and Reality, Ian Duguid. This means God is never shocked when you tell him the truth about your feelings. Not, not a very profound you know, statement, not hard to understand, but do you know this is true? God is not shocked when you tell him the truth about your feelings. Of course, he knows all things. And so my question to us, are you feeling the gap? How long was the gap? The tape, how long does the tape measure go for you right now? Have you told God how it feels? Have you told him? Telling him is a part of how we regain our footing when our faith is slipping. The prayers of the Bible are full of this. The Psalms are full of this, full of examples and encouragements for us to do so. Do you know you have permission? And do you use it? 
a, a quick per, a pastoral word to our church. At any moment in time in the church, there will be those who are feeling the gap very wide. And it will be a deep struggle for them to hold on to faith. And when we do, in addition to being honest with God, we need a community to be honest with about how it feels. So when we can't see, when we can't hear what we need to hear, other people can walk with us and be a presence and remind us what is true. So my my friends, here's what I'd like to ask us. Let us learn to listen like God does here to Abram. Without shock, without judgment or suspicion. We've been reading the book of Job in our Bible reading plan and Job's friends said, you have permission, Job, to feel terrible and to struggle for like two weeks and then we're going to use our theology on you (laughs) until you admit that you're a sinner and it's your fault. Do you know what God said about those friends? He said, they're not like me and he rebuked them. We have permission. Verses one through five tell us that. We can tell God in raw honesty how it feels to live in the gap between his promises and our reality. But we need more than that. We need more than permission. We need a response from God. In verse six, we have one. Please look at verse six. We have a declaration of God for those who believe despite the struggle. While they're in the gap, while they're holding on to faith in all their doubts, it says, Abram believed the Lord, and he, the Lord, credited to him, Abram, as righteousness. This is one of the most important verses in all of the Bible. It was one of the Apostle Paul's favorites. I call it a declaration because look at this verse. Look who is speaking to whom in this verse. It's very interesting. God isn't speaking to Abram. The narrator is speaking to us. He's telling us what's happening here, declaring to us. And in Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul picks up on this. And Jaden, if we could go to Romans 4, 22 through 24. Therefore, it was credited to him as righteousness. He's quoting 15.6, now it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. Okay, so what is being declared here for us? Well, we know things in Abram's life, though they look extremely hopeless, though he is struggling, We see, based on this declaration, we know things will, in the end, be well for Abram. God will fulfill his promise to him. We know that God has to do it. God has to do it. That's what's being declared to us. Why? Because God has declared him righteous. What does that mean? To be righteous means to be fully right with God. Things are right between a human being in God, to have nothing standing between you and his favor. No sin, no unbelief. It is to have full approval and acceptance of God. 
a vindication of your life. You are declared righteous. For God to say, this is a person who lives faithfully according to my will. And here is the connection between that declaration and God's promises and his blessing. All who are right with God, all who are accepted by God, all who are declared not guilty, who are in good standing as a part of his people, have a claim, have a right to all the promises of God. For God not to keep his promise to somebody who is right with him, righteous, would be unjust, unfair, and unrighteous of God. Do you see? So for God to be God and for God to be righteous, he must keep his word to the one who is righteous before him. Let's keep digging. What is being declared here then is incredible, is unbelievable, is the exact opposite of how we sometimes think how God works. Abram, who sinned, who struggled, who doubted, who failed, who will fail and sin again in the next chapter, he will. It says he believes God's word and God credits this to him as righteousness. It uses the word credit. What does that mean? It's a twofold word, credit. It's an accounting word and it's a legal word. Accounting means in Abram's account with God, he has righteousness. Or in the legal sense, in the courtroom of God's judgment, he has been declared not guilty and righteous before God, approved. And we say, but how is that fair? How can God do that? How can he declare someone who has weak faith as completely faithful, who is sinning and will sin as righteous? And Paul tells us as we fill in his statement and commentary on this from Romans 4.2. He says it was credited to him as righteousness. Now it was credited to him. It wasn't written for Abram alone, but for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the very heart of the gospel, the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. Martin Luther said, the great reformer said, maybe you heard this quote. He said, if this article right here, if what we're reading in Genesis 15, 6 and Romans 4, if it stands, the church stands. If this article collapse, collapses, the church collapses. Why? The meaning is this. Without justification by faith, the church, Christianity, has nothing new to say to the world. Nothing new to say to us when our lives feel like we're here and everything we think God has to offer us and to say to us and to promise us is way out here. We're simply left to fill up our account with God ourselves. To earn the declaration of righteousness over our lives by what we do. How much are we sinning? Is our life good enough? 
How do I know God will say over my life and have in my account righteousness? To be a Christian, Paul says, based on this verse, is to respond to the question, what is in my account with God? The answer is, to be a Christian, all the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus' perfect trust in my account. Jesus' perfect faith in my account. His complete and full obedience. His death for my trespasses and sin means I don't have to die for my failures and be judged and sins because he did so for me. That's in my account. I don't have to live a perfect life of faithfulness and trust to be righteous before God because he did and it's in my account. It is like if you have your phone and you're like, what's in my bank account right now? And you look and you look at the app and you do a double take and it says, wait, I did not deposit $3 billion into my account. I would know if I did that, right? And it's there. And you go, I didn't earn that. That's not mine. And then right after you see that, you get a text from Jeff Bezos and he says, you're welcome. A little something from me, Jeff. He earned it. It's his. But it's credited to your account. It's a gift. This is getting to the very heart of the Christian gospel. This is what makes our faith stand or fall and the church stand or fall. How does righteousness get into our account with God? By faith alone. That's how we receive the gift. That's how we get the credit. So let's connect it to the struggle, the gap. Whenever we experience the gap between our situation and our life and our feelings and the promises of God to bless us, to be for us, to love us as his very own, and we say, I don't see it. The gap is too large. This is my life. The first question to ask is not, when will it happen, God? Why isn't it happening, God? The first question to ask is, am I right with God? Am I in good standing with God? Do I have a claim to his promise? Because if I am justified by faith in Christ, then I never have to wonder if the promises of God are for me personally, are for my life. When I look inside and I feel anxiety and fears and doubts, when I look at my situation and all I see is barrenness and nothing, and just a huge gap, I can know this. God is not mad at me. God is not punishing me. God is not condemning me. God has not abandoned me. God has not forgotten about me because I am right with him through faith in Jesus Christ. This is not just a question about becoming a Christian, although it is. It's a question we must return to time and time again so that we can hear the declaration. Trust me. Trust in Jesus. Jesus. 
and you can know what's in your account. Though it may take much time and much longer than we want, though it may pass through many trials and pain and seasons of darkness and doubt, God will make good on his promise. Friends, because he has to. For him not to would be unrighteous of Almighty God. The only question we have then if we know we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ and righteous in him is, is God righteous? Will God treat me rightly according to the perfect righteousness of his son Jesus, which is mine? Abram believed God's promise of the seed to come. Those who believe in the promise fulfilled of the seed who has come, Jesus Christ, are declared righteous. There's one more thing. One more thing we have here to encourage us in the gap on top of this amazing declaration. We have permission to tell God how we're feeling. We have a declaration from God to us. On top of all that, we have a guarantee. Do you believe, but sometimes find it hard to believe God will keep his promise in your life that in the end, all his promises will be fulfilled for you? His waiting, it feels like his absence and indifference to you. We need the permission, we need the declaration, but we also have a guarantee. And this passage tells us we have a guarantee. Look at verse 8. We'll quickly go through the second part of this text. Verse 8. This is so important for us to see. Abram, who believes and does have faith, we're just told that in verse 6, who counts, God counts as righteous, he still has doubt. He still needs assurance. He, like the man in the Gospels, who approached Jesus and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Abram is saying that, and God says, I can help you, I will help you. God's response here to Abram's question How can I know, though, Lord, that this will happen? In verse 8, he says, how can I know? This response, if you just look at verses 10 through um, 17, all the way into 20, it seems very strange and bizarre to us. What is going on? Abram, here's how you know. Uh, Go get a bunch of animals and slice them in half. And in a terrifying dream, I will appear to you telling you that after a long time and much suffering, the land will be your descendants. And then in the darkness, this smoking fire pot and torch pass through the animals alone. What is happening? Verse 18 is the key. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. God is making a covenant with Abram. That's what's happening here. A covenant is like a promise, but it's much more than a promise. It's like a super promise. Like a vow, a solemn obligation where you are binding yourself and your life to your promise to another person. In the ancient Near East, this is how they would do it. They would take animals and they would cut them in half. When they would make a covenant, the language they would use was, let's cut a covenant. Let's cut a covenant. It comes from this ceremony. They would take the animals, they would cut them in half and walk through them. 
It was a physical picture of what they were covenanting to one another. If I don't keep my part of the covenant, we get it, right? May I be like those animals. May I die. I forfeit my life if I don't keep my promise. Do you notice what is remarkable about this covenant ceremony? Only God passes through. Abram doesn't go. It's a one-way covenant. God is invoking a curse upon himself. If he does not keep his covenant, he's saying, I guarantee it with my life as God. And what else could we need? This is God saying to Abram, if I don't keep my covenant promise to you, I forfeit my life. I cross my heart and hope to die. I'm God. That is impossible for the creator of the stars, the sovereign Lord, to die. That is impossible. Can it happen? No. And yes. And yes. The gospel tells us God did walk through the pieces. The book of Galatians says Christ became a curse for us. Jesus said when he held up the cup, he said this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. My body broken, my blood shed, I will be torn to pieces as he was on the cross. Friends, we have no stronger guarantee There is no stronger assurance we could have than this. If our faith is in Christ, there is no condemnation, no guilt. There is blessing, there is inheritance, and there is love. Every other religion, every other belief system says, if you want to close the gap between the life you have And the life over there that you feel is promised to you, the life that you want, do your part. Walk through the pieces. You keep your end of the covenant and maybe you'll get the promise on the other side. The gospel says, God is telling us, I'll do my part. You trust me. When we waver and struggle and pass through suffering, as this text tells Abram his descendants will, living as aliens under oppression and slavery, we wonder where God is. Romans 4, I'll close with this, tells us how we have this guarantee. Abram in verse 19 of Romans 4, did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body already dead. I'm dead. (laughs) How can I have a child? And also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because how? He was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to do. God has closed the gap. He has come to us in Christ. He has suffered with us. He has suffered for us. He has died. 
and risen again. And he has given us the guarantee as the one who has come, as the one who has suffered, as the one who has given us the gift of righteousness, that he will close the gap. We have his guarantee. And so we can trust him and walk by faith. Let's pray. Lord God, I know in our church family, there are many who feel the gap is so great and wide, they're barely holding on. And I pray especially for those who are hearing your word and who are feeling the doubt and the difficulty of believing you are trustworthy. I pray you would meet them. Meet them again with the gift of righteousness that you have given to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. That you would drive out by your declaration all sense of condemnation or doubt or darkness. That you would draw near to us in your powerful declaration and in this guarantee that we'd be renewed again as we remember all that you have done How could it not be if you were torn for us that you will not make good on all your promises? Help us grab a hold of that, grasp it, and sink it deep into our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.